every so often, I am invited to return to my hometown church, Christ United Church of Christ in Orville, Ohio, to preach and to lead worship. This was the church in which I was confirmed, the church in which I would later be ordained, the church where my parents are still attending and are active members in various ways. And it so happened that the morning that this episode is being released, Sunday, November 5th, this was one of those Sundays. The interim minister there happens to be a seminary classmate of mine, and we were also apartment neighbors. So we have known each other for years and years and years, and it, it's, it's been kind of, kind of surreal to have him serve there. It's kind of a clash of worlds in a way. I made the comment this morning, this is probably the only place in the universe where both people I went to seminary with and people I went to high school with are in the same place. It's it's just that kind of a a setup, and so it it's it's a good kind of strange. It's it's not an awkward kind of strange, and so he he knew that he would have this time away coming up, and he approached me. I live close enough that I would be able to pop over and and fill the pulpit for this Sunday. And so I agreed. This was, mind you, before I got a concussion. And the 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 week leading up to this, this past week, I was like, well, can I'm I'm gonna prepare as if I will be able to do this by when when the moment finally arrives. But should should I should I be should should I go ahead and and line somebody else up and, and what, what is this gonna be a good idea? And and the probably probably the the answer the sensible answer was no. But I decided, you know, I am going to go ahead and put this all together and hope for the best. I'm going to have my water with me. I, I'm going to, the pulpit is such where there's a, you, there's a lot, lots to grab onto if I need to steady myself. And, and other than... I will say they, I had a few slightly fuzzy moments during the service. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I've read about is the, you know, your, your blood pressure starts going. And if you're still healing from a concussion, that it can affect your, how, how well your, your brain is able to function. And, and I, I sensed that. I sensed that that something was still is still not a hundred percent, 
and it was informative and it was a good lesson that way. But I did get through it and I think everything went very well. So as you may be able to expect, since I've done this before a couple times, the, the bulk of this episode is going to be the recording of the sermon that I preached earlier today. So a couple, a couple caveats. I always give a couple caveats because I believe preaching should be contextual. And this was probably one of the most contextual sermons that I've preached. And, and part, part of that is because this church is like one of three churches where I can be this contextual. That, that one of the three churches that I know well enough to be able to approach things the way that I did this morning. And so you're, you're going to hear that. There are, there are going to be some parts that you, you'll probably wonder about. Well, I don't, I don't know what that means. Because they would have, and they did. So the, there, there will be that caveat. My mom served as liturgist. So, so there are a couple little asides that happen in the sermon. It's because I'm talking directly to her. Like just making some like funny little comment or, or that kind of thing. My, my goal with this sermon was a couple, a couple, there were a couple goals. The, the first was they're, they're talking about some very important issues related to inclusion. And the, there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of uncertainty. And so this, this was a, a, a sermon, a, a sermon of encouragement for them as they work through these important things and go through these important conversations. And, and so the other main goal, I would say, was just to kind of just preach a love letter to this congregation. This one that raised me, this one that helped launch me into ministry. Um, and, and so I... I, I was pleased with how things turned out as far as both of those goals were concerned. People got it. I don't know that everybody got it, but it, my sense was that at least a good portion of people got it. So this sermon, the, the title of this sermon, the one I came up with, is Signs Come Alive. And it's based on a passage from Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verses 7 through 17. It's the very end of the Israelites' journey in the wilderness. And they're about to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. They're about to begin a new phase of their journey. Uh, by this point, Moses has not been gone for very long. Joshua is still settling into his role. The people are still 
accepting him in that role. And God says, I'm going to provide a sign that you are, that, that will help establish you as their new leader. And that will also help them cross over the Jordan. And it involves the Ark of the Covenant. And so that that's the passage that I chose. And there's also some All Saints stuff, a lot of All Saints stuff. All Saints on the Christian calendar is November 1st. You'll hear about that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad for how this morning went. And I'm glad that my, my mind and my body held up in order for me to do it. I'm always thankful to be able to come back and, and preach and lead worship here. So that's, that's what you're going to hear for the duration of this episode. Signs come alive based on Joshua 3 verses 7 through 17. Welcome to the Coffee House Contemplative Podcast. This passage from Joshua, which was beautifully read, by the way, (laughs) this passage from Joshua has in it something that many Christians may not be used to talking about or thinking about a whole lot. It, it, It has a component to it that... It just doesn't show up. The subject matter does not necessarily show up all that often in our, our Bible studies or, or lessons or, or even sermons. That being this Ark of the Covenant. Now, our, our Jewish siblings could tell you all about it. It is more central to their faith than it is for ours. For our part, at best, one, maybe two images or ideas or thoughts may come into our minds when we hear the phrase Ark of the Covenant. The first one is we may think of Noah's Ark, which is a totally different thing. Noah, with his massive boat, he has to cart two by two animals up onto it. God floods the earth, wipes out most of life. You know, just a good, wholesome Sunday school story. And that, that is actually a different ark. That, that is not the ark that is spoken about in this passage and in many other places in the Hebrew scriptures. The the other thought that may come to mind, if you're a certain age, would be the classic movie, 
Yes. Okay. Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the good Indiana Jones movies, which is not something we had to use to specify, but here we are. Life is what it is. Which depicts the Ark of the Covenant as the main MacGuffin. The, the thing that people are after. And so Indiana Jones's main task in that movie is to seek out the Ark before the bad guys do. And he does his best. And of course, there's a whole lot of sensationalism around it and special effects and drama. And of course, you have to because it's a big budget movie and that's what you do. But nevertheless, so, so that, and that, that's it. That, that probably exhausts most of what comes to mind, perhaps, when we hear this phrase or read about it, the Ark of the Covenant. So what actually was the Ark of the Covenant? They were, the, the Hebrew people were given instructions to build it after they had escaped Egypt and began their time in the wilderness. They were instructed to construct this wooden chest that is overlaid in gold with two seraphim statues on top, two angel statues that sit on the lid. And the tablets of the covenant, the tablets of the commandments that were handed to Moses, these were to be placed inside this ark. And then there were rings on the sides so that long wooden poles could be inserted through them and that is how it would be carried from place to place. And the meaning of behind this The whole reason that they were instructed to create this is that it would serve as a sign and as a symbol for the people during this long journey. A sign and symbol of God's enduring presence with them as they wandered around through the wilderness, that God was nevertheless with them no matter what it was. What came up during their journey? And they would construct ceremonies and liturgies and rituals around this as further reminders that this was the case, that that they were not out here by themselves, that God was with them, journeying with them, Loving them, seeing them through whatever it is that came up during this time. So, with all that background, here's the specific situation that they are now facing. They're actually at the end. This is at the very end of their wilderness journey. And they are now preparing, after so long, to finally enter the long-promised land that God had centuries before promised to Abraham and to his descendants. And God has a particular plan 
for this moment. God wants to do several things at once. And he shares this plan, God shares this plan with Joshua. God says, here is what I intend to do. First, I intend to show the people, to reinforce for them, to reiterate for them that my spirit is now with you, my spirit of leadership is now with you the way that it formerly was with Moses, so that the people can see this and will follow you as their new leader. It was quite possible that the people were still having a fondness for their longtime former leader, and now they're still trying to get on board with their new leader, still working through their feelings about the person who's no longer there, and now needs a bit of a assurance that, no, God is still with the new person now. So, that's the first intention. The second intention is a bit more practical. They got to cross another river. They have to cross the Jordan. And God says... Remember what I did with the Red Sea? I'm going to do that again. The Jordan River is not nearly as daunting as the Red Sea was, but they still have to get over this body of water. And so God says, here's what we're going to do. You are going to instruct the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant, this sign and symbol of my presence. You're going to carry it into the river, And the waters will stop flowing for as long as is needed. And all the people will be able to pass over on dry ground. And so sure enough, they carry the ark into the water. The water stops flowing. The people are able to cross over into this long-promised land, fulfilling the two things that God had set out to do, showing that God is still with their new leadership, and also getting from point A to point B. Now, there are multiple elements at work in this story that help to communicate that God is with the people. First, you have an object, an object that communicates God's presence, that being, of course, the ark itself. It is this object, this tangible thing that people can look at, not necessarily touch, but at least look at to gaze upon and say, yes, Because I can see this thing, that is a sign God is with us. So the object, that's the first thing. The second is the action. The action of following the ark into the dry riverbed and across into this new land, signaling the end of their journey. So the object, 
and then the actual act of following it. But then, the third element, the third piece, and arguably, it's the most important piece. That is the people. The people who carry all of this out. The people who carry out the act. The people who had to build the object to begin with. The people who had to carry, then, the object into the Jordan River in order to make any of this happen. The people who have to believe, who have to buy in, to have faith in order to follow any of this and believe that God is with them to believe in this sign, to believe in this symbol, and to carry all of this out, to follow through in faithfulness and trust. The people element is what makes all of the rest of it come alive. The element of the people involved is what makes an object more than an object. It's what makes an action more than an action, more than an idea to do a particular thing. It's the people who makes any of it happen. Now, each of us, perhaps, could each name different Elements, one, of, one or more of these elements that we could name that have served or continue to serve for us as signs, as symbols of God's presence in our lives. We could point to objects that we keep close to us. Maybe something that is displayed in our homes, something that we wear whenever is possible, We could point to jewelry or decor or spaces where we like to go, spaces that have become sacred, that, that communicate the divine to us in some way. Places where we like to return in order to experience that again. Different locations that we love returning to in order to to sense God's presence with us. These physical, tangible objects or places that each of us perhaps have for ourselves. In turn, also, we could name experiences. Experiences that we have had, actions that have taken place in our lives, acts of kindness that either we have done for others or that have been done for us. The action of seeing natural beauty or seeing some kind of an inspiring scene, a song or a piece of art that hits us in just the right way and we can tell that story again and again. This is where and how I felt a presence with me. And finally, we could perhaps name people. We could name people who have, either just by their presence, just by their very lives, the way that they lived, or perhaps more specifically, by what they shared with us, who they were to us, 
the ways that we have partaken together, what we have received from them, what we have been able to give to them, whatever the specifics, we could name people that have communicated something of God's presence to us. With that sort of a setup, this past November 1st is known on the Christian calendar as All Saints, a day to remember and give thanks for such people, a day to remember and give thanks for those who have communicated something of the divine to us, whose lives have touched us in such a way that it is as if God was present. And I know that the custom will be to formally do that in a few weeks here, but I won't be here in a few weeks. Maybe I will. Who knows? Free lunch. Okay. So just in case... I would like to name for you just a few, just a handful, and you will know these names, just a handful of people whom I could name as saints to me. People like Ed Musser. Ed Musser was, we, we, met, we met him years ago on a trip to South Dakota, an intergenerational mission trip. And Ed had, was recovering, was doing his best to live his life after a stroke at that point. But we had a lot of fun with him on that trip. He still had a boisterous energy, a big sort of humor to him on that trip. He sing, almost single-handedly, there, there was one point we found a giant snake in the plumbing, and he took care of that for us. <laughs> and he just, it was no big deal to him. He was like, oh, there. It, it was amazing. And Ed, afterwards, he, he presented at least a couple people with some original artwork that he had made that was inspired by this experience. I count Ed as a saint. Mary Alice Rausch. The long-standing joke was that you could never say no to Mary Alice Rausch. If she wanted you to wear a costume, (laughs) if she wanted you to be part of the magical or a Last Supper reenactment or something else that she had written, some other thing that she had created and she asked you to be in it, you were doing it. (laughs) The end. She had such a, a big creative spirit. So many of the banners that hang in this church were made by her. Her gifts for art were immense, far-reaching, and she shared that. That was a true spiritual gift that she had, and that she freely shared 
with people even after her teaching days were over. I count Mary Alice as a saint. Patty Ayers and Denise Rehm, the ones who got me into theater. It was thanks to them that I discovered this gift about myself, this encouragement. If I look down front, I'm going to cry. So, If, if there was anyone who had as big of an impact on my high school years, it was the two of them. They, they encouraged this gift within me, and I would say that at least indirectly helped encourage my entrance into ministry by discovering that about myself. I count Denise and Patty as saints. And having said that, Rob Hennel. For many of the same reasons, except music instead of theater. Who, who was an encourager of musical gifts, both here in the church and way beyond its walls in so many ways. And so I give thanks for that nurturing of gifts as well. I count Rob as, no, I can't call him Rob. I count Mr. Hennel <laughs> as a saint. Ryan Finley. Ryan was the heart of the youth group in a particular era. He was a theatrical and musical force in those years. One of my friends and companions, as I myself was part of band and part of theater. And that friendship I count as encouraging, not, not, just, not just over there, but also in here. And so I am thankful to have known him. I give thanks for his life and for the special life that he built over in France. I count Ryan as a saint. Each of others, each of us, could name so many others that have passed through these pews, that have passed through these aisles, that who have passed through these hallways, whom we each could name as saints, people whom we have gotten to know, people we have learned from, people we have been supported by, people who have supported us, people we have been able to support, people we have prayed with, people we have served with, people we have traveled with. The people, these particular people, each of them we could name, this is what makes the church more than an idea. This is what makes the church more than a building. 
This is what makes the church more than this nebulous group of faceless people. Instead, there are faces. There are lives, particular lives, particular desires, particular gifts. They're what make the church what it is. They are what make the church a living representation of God in the world. Sometimes, often imperfect, maddening, frustrating, but still very much alive. People are living signs of God's presence. Their lives, their actions, their memories, their experiences, their joys, their sorrows, they're just showing up. They are the ones, we are the ones, who are God's created and beloved ones in flesh and in blood, serving as signs and symbols for one another. People, actual people, not not ideas of people, not rumors about people, not political commentary about people, not internet memes about people, actual People whom we can see and interact with and learn from. People who have real stories and real emotions and a real capacity for love and individual gifts and different experiences that can broaden our understanding of what it means to serve and love God in the world, what it means for how God shows up in the world, and what it means to be human. And they're what makes the church the church. Which is still, for better or worse, one of the most visible ways that these signs of God's presence come alive. The way we share and partake and struggle together. The way that we remind each other of the good news. So with all of that, We are invited soon to engage in another action. There is the act of sharing. There are the particular objects that we will share, bread and cup. But most importantly, it is the people we will partake with. People in the flesh. People we can see and hear and learn from. As we share and we remind each other that God's presence is real in this place. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Coffee House Contemplative Podcast. I'm Jeff Nelson. You can find more about my writing, including all my books, at jeffreynelson.com. You can also find me on social media, Jeffrey A. Nelson on Facebook, and I'm at Bold Roast Rev on Instagram and elsewhere. Have a great week.